Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Paranormal Peeps podcast. We are glad to have you guys come in and listening to us. And if this is your first time, thank you for joining in. And if you've listened to us before, welcome back. Yeah. And uh, let's see who we got around the table today. Well, I count two. <laughs> That's all I got. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, we're in check. <laughs> so, Jamie. And Josh. And Squeakers, we miss you. Get over your cold so you can come back soon. Yep. It's not quite the same without you staring at us. Right? Or making goofy faces or whatever you do. <laughs> All those things. Right? We just want to say, uh, you know, with Christmas coming out next week. Yeah. Say uh, Merry Christmas to those of us in the States. Yep. And uh, Happy Boxing Day to those in Canada and the UK, I believe. You know, I really don't know. I, I, I'm really bad with holidays. Happy holidays. That's, I mean, for everybody. Absolutely. For everybody that celebrates and, and you know, New Year's fast approaching. I can't believe this year is almost over. Three weeks. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's Like, nuts. where did the year go? I don't know. Exactly. It's it like was, you blink and it's almost another New Year. Yeah, it's like... It wouldn't seem seem that long ago that we were starting with our first investigation at the Anson Call House, and here mm-hmm. we are with three weeks left in the year. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. It is. So hopefully everybody out there is getting their shopping done and is set for the upcoming holiday and, and for New Year's. And, and hasn't gone insane yet from the weather. That's yeah. That's been a little bit of everywhere. You know, but I have to say, and I, I don't think I'm the only one that feels this way, it just doesn't feel... Like a very Merry Christmas. Like there is so much to be grateful for. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm appreciative and I'm grateful. But there's just not that Christmas cheer this year. Does it feel like it's lacking to you too? Because for me, it's like even with the tree up and our decorations out and it's lovely to put on all the lights and, you know, on the tree and stuff and and, and just sit there and, and look at it, the warm glow. But it's nice, but I feel like there's a lot missing. Yeah, I think so. It feels kind of feels that way. You know what we need hmm. is we need to be visited by three spirits tonight. <laughs> no, no, not tonight. That should be on Christmas Eve. Well, yeah, but maybe they'll just do it tonight. They'll, you know, they'll come early. That sounds like a really good story. You should write a book. <laughs> <laughs> I would call it The Night of Three Ghosts. Spot on. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's something fresh that hasn't been done to death, right? No. <laughs> no, no one has t- talked about that at all. Yeah. I think you really got something there. I think, I, I think so. <laughs> all right. So that being said, what, pray tell, are we talking about tonight? Well, we're not talking about a Christmas carol. I know that. <laughs> are you sure? I'm positive. That's next week. That's next episode. No, it's not. What we are talking about is something that actually pertains a lot to what we do every time we go out investigating. Which is? Spirit photography. Yeah, but we're not exactly... It's not in the same light, right? No. But anytime you go on an investigation, you take off a bunch of... You know, you shoot off a bunch of pictures. Yeah. 
you're hoping to catch something that would be, you know, classified as a spirit or a ghost. Could possibly be, yeah. Yeah. A lot of times it's, no, it doesn't happen. It's dust. It's dust. It's, you know, it's it's very rare. Not impossible. I have only seen a handful of what I would say credible spirit photo- spirit pictures. Yeah. That I knew that they were taken and, and who took them and when they were taken. Yeah. By credible individuals. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, you were there when they took them. Oh, so, exactly. You know, we had the one that Benson Gris Mill, the lady in white on top of the, the loom room. Yeah. So that was a very credible... Uh, picture taken because we one we knew who the, we knew who took the picture. Yeah, but we were there when they took the picture as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit easier to believe those ones than some of the ones other ones you can see on the internet. Yeah, but I mean we only saw it briefly too. That's true. We we weren't we didn't have access to it to where we could really kind of look at it, yeah. blow it up, and kind of so. But yeah, I mean, it looked pretty cool from what we saw. Yep. For sure. So yeah, spirit photography, huh? So let's get into it. Do we gotta... Actually, no, this is really interesting. It really is. So we're going to start back kind of in the 19th century. And death is is kind of was trending back then, kind of like TikTok trends today. So it was kind of the height of everything. Um, so, and with the newly invented medium of like photography, so it, it became a way for a lot of people to cope with death, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, a chance to see their loved one. Um, so it just offered a popular new way to kind of preserve a memory of a loved one that had passed, it, which I, I could see that. That's when they started doing the death photography. Yeah. Well, remember when they used to do death masks too? Yeah. Remember? Which dates... Predates the oh way 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 yeah. long ago, but I've I mean I I've seen a couple photographs of people in caskets and and like just clearly dead people, mm-hmm. which seems odd. Different time though. This is true, although back then too you had to wait four hours to twenty four or twelve hours or some crazy amount remember to take these pictures and so obviously the dead won't move, so that does help. It it does help. And, you know, I wonder why they stopped doing it. Did they realize that this is messed up or, I mean, what? I don't know. I mean, it's very macabre to think about it today. But it was commonplace at one point. It was. It was very common. So it was like one final family portrait with your, you know, dead relative or two in there. Before you put them in the ground. Yep. So anyways, the invention of photography, it actually also coincided with the increasing popularity of like haunting, seances, and mediums. Kind of hit the spiritualist movement. It did. And that was during the, yeah, that's exactly. It was during the rise of the spiritual movement, actually. So um, it was a perfect way to connect with the spirit realm. Makes sense. You know, at least that's what it seemed, right? Yeah. So there's a man, okay, and his name was William H. Mumler. And he really cashed in on this, okay? So he originally was a jeweler's engraver by trade. And he was the accidental inventor of spirit photography. Accidentally on purpose or just accidentally? No, completely accidental. 
So he actually figured out how to produce these images with double exposures. So it would give one of the figures in the picture kind of this ghostly quality. Okay. Right? His first ghostly image was actually taken in March of 1861. And it was a total accident. Like he just stumbled upon this by accident. So what he did was he just took a self-portrait, like a selfie. (laughs) (laughs) And he was in a friend's studio and he was just using a plate because they used to use plates. The glass plates. The glass plates, right? And it was a plate that had already been exposed. So it had already been used. Okay. So the image was actually, when he saw this, it was actually circulated as a gag. Right. But as sometimes these things do, they take a life of their own. So they fell into the hands of somebody at the Herald of Progress, which is a spiritualist journal. Okay. Uh oh. So you can imagine where it went from here. So it, his popularity actually just exploded overnight. And his story, well, it began to change. Right. That's often happens when you throw a pile of cash in front of somebody. Exactly. So your popularity is soaring practically overnight. You have people flocking to you. He's not going to go, oh, I already took a plate that was exposed and reused it. No, he's not going to tell you that. He's going to change it to make everybody believe that what he caught was a spirit in the photo. So anyways, not long after, uh, accounts of Mumler's first self-portrait were embellished with stories of like, he's like, oh, my arm is feeling numb, right? And some stories even claim he couldn't take more than like, say, two or three pictures a day because connecting with the spirit world was exhausting. It was draining, right? So he's really playing this up. Right. He's really playing it up. It's good at marketing. Yes. So for just shy of about two years, uh, Mumler worked as a, a medium. And he was taking portraits of living people and, in quotes, capturing. <laughs> okay. Good air quotes. Right. The spirits of lost, of people's lost loved ones. And sometimes what he would claim were lost strangers from beyond the grave. So just a random spirit wandering through someone's portrait. (laughs) Cause nothing is better than having a stranger holding your hand while you're taking a picture. Right. Right. So anyways, these renderings of these so-called ghosts, they became so popular that the spiritualists had kind of held these photographs as actual scientific evidence of their beliefs. Okay. Okay. And I could see that when you're one con- when you want that memory or you want that connection with a lost loved one, right? It's really easy, I think, in your grief and stuff to believe that you've captured them and that they're still with you. Like this, this to them is like proof. Right. It's a bit of peace into the individual who's grieving. It gives them this comfort, right? Right. That that there's more beyond this. That their loved one is still near. And with them. Right. Even though they can't be seen with the naked eye. So, um, so, I mean, this got so popular that 
after uh, Abraham Lincoln's assassination. His yep. wife, Mary Todd Lincoln, Eve, Lincoln even had her fo- uh, photograph taken uh, by Mumler. Yeah, and it's a good photograph. It's a good photograph. It really is. And, you know, we'll post some of these on our Facebook and, and Twitter and all that. We'll, you know, we'll post these oh, yeah. photos um, because they are interesting, fake or not. They are kind of neat yep. in their own right. And I could see where back in the day people would be like, yeah, totally. I believe this, you yeah. know? So then we go to February 1863. Okay. So there was this doctor and he decided I'm going to sit for a portrait. Right. And when his spirit photograph had developed, however long that takes, <laughs> it was a while. Right. He actually recognized the spirit in the photograph as a man who was still alive. Uh-oh, your gig's up. So, the jig's up. So, so this doctor was so outraged that he actually led this crusade to oust Mumbler as a fake, which why wouldn't you? You'd be so ticked. You feel you'd feel jaded that you spent good money. Yeah. On this photograph that Well, and you'd be made to feel like they made a fool of you, like Mumbler made a fool of me. Exactly. It it would outrage you. Yeah, I feel, I would be I would be ticked. You feel cheated, right? So Mumler was actually sued for this. Yep, but he was acquitted. Which and is, and which I, is interesting that they didn't have enough evidence to prove that he was guilty. Yeah, exactly. Well, and they had some really good evidence against him. Well, including the photograph of someone who's living. Yeah, but they had other things too that just. Proved he was an absolute fake. Right. But yet he was acquitted. I honestly think that he was acquitted because you have people that, you know, we've talked about open-minded skeptics, closed-minded skeptics, as well as, you know. Closed-minded uh, believers. Yeah. And, and open-minded believers, right? And I just yep. think that there's people that, because of the grief and the loss of a loved one, that they hang on so tightly to this has got to be real because it gives them that sense of peace, that sense of whatever to help them cope, that they are completely closed-minded believers. Like they believe it and nothing you show them and nothing you tell them is going to sway their opinion. They're completely closed off. Right. They believe it. That's it. Yep. Period. Well, I think the, cha- I think the challenge is though, is to prove that they're all, that they're all fake. And yeah. that becomes, that becomes daunting in that avenue. It's not that you couldn't do a double exposure, right? My uncle back when he was doing his own amateur photography, he took a picture of him in his van. And on the right side of the of the van is him standing there looking up. Sure. And on the left side of the van is him standing in the door looking down at himself. Yeah. <laughs> and now this is before Photoshop, right? Now like Photoshop would be easy to do that stuff today. But he had to he had to actually develop the film in such a way that it would show in that in that manner. During the trial, when Mumler was being tried for fraud, yeah, Barnum of Barnum and Bailey. Okay, we're all familiar with who they are, right? Some circus people, I Some think. Some circus people. I don't know. <laughs> so Barnum actually testified against Mumler. Okay, so the most damning moment was actually. When a deliberately 
bogus photograph was actually presented to demonstrate just how easy it was to make Mumler's spirit images. Okay. They showed just how he did it. It was Barnum's coup de gras, and it featured himself with the ghost, in air quotes, yeah. of Abraham Lincoln. So, and it appeared Mumler was ghost busted. <laughs> But and and still, like we said before, it's it's really this damning evidence against Mumler, right? Yeah. You're like, how could he be acquitted? But he was acquitted of fraud. But obviously, the damage was done. Yeah, like he was ousted. People knew uh, his reputation was ruined, and his his career as a spirit photographer. Well, I mean, obviously, it's over. Yeah, you're done. You're done. Even for the people that still believe you, you know. It's not enough. You're done. Yeah. So anyways, the the techniques that he used, they were actually built upon by other people uh, during the late 1800s. um, And as popularity for the spiritualism and spirit photography would grow over the years, accusations of fraud obviously were going to continue. Right. To haunt anybody that was doing these so-called spirit photography. And and let's face it, it, it follows us today, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Because now, instead of having to use these double exposures and these little camera tricks, right? Yep. We have to, we can just do it so easily. Well, yeah. I mean, look at the things that are Photoshopped today. Exactly. And faked. And, you know, and there's some that are really obvious. Yes. Anybody can look at those and go, oh, that's totally bogus. That's totally faked. Yep. But you have people out there that are quite handy with Photoshop and with all these things that it's harder to tell. Yeah, they get, they're really good at blending images together. Unless you really know what you're looking for. Yep. It's really hard to tell. Yeah, that makes it a challenge in that avenue. Yeah. And it's it's horrible for us and what we go out and do because think about this. If you get something that truly is a haunted image or, you know, an apparition yep. or something that's true paranormal... That you've tried to debunk and you can't figure it, you know, you try to recreate it and you can't and all those things, right? And you really, truly believe it's something paranormal. Yep. If you share that with anybody out there, I mean, they about lynch you, honestly. They do. And and that's and this is the challenge of this day and age, of this digital age, right? Well, it's upsetting because you have so many fakers wanting their 15 minutes that any true evidence that is actually brought forward that is promising as paranormal or, you know, highly likely to be paranormal. Right. You just get all these naysayers, which, I mean, you're going to get that regardless, but it's overwhelming, which is one of the reasons that we don't put a lot of our things out there. What we put out there, we believe is truly something. Right. But we always say... Basically, what do you think you decide? I'm not going to, I'm not here to convince anybody it's real. Well, and, and I'm not. And it's just not. The, the thing is, is that it's impossible to, to convince people who don't want to be convinced. Well, and it's not just that, though. But you have a lot of these people that they want to comment, they want to tell you you're liars, you're fakers, but yet they've never gone on a paranormal investigation. They've never tried it out. And in a way, I, I get your skepticism. I really do. We should be skeptical of things, right? Yes. And it's just like back in the 18, in in the, the 1900s, right? Mm -hmm. With, 
with Mumler and all of these other people who were faking these images. Yeah. The problem, the challenge is, can you determine a true one from a false one? And that's where you get into this credibility issue. Yeah. Exactly. Now, Mumler may not have faked every picture that he took. But we don't know we weren't there. We don't, right? But the problem is, is as soon as you faked one and caught, caught. That's it. That's it. The rest of your pictures, valid or not. Are all going to be fake in the eyes of everybody else. Exactly. And that's where when you look at images and evidence that are being presented in the, from the paranormal, you have to look at who's presenting it and whether or not you believe them as individuals mm -hmm. to provide credible evidence. Yeah. I just have a hard time with those that, you know, just automatically dismiss it and they've never been out there. They don't really know anything beyond the TV shows that are, you know, that they watch. They've never gone out and tried it. Like I said, you need a healthy amount of skepticism there. Yes. You really do. Don't just blindly believe everything. And you, and you shouldn't. No, and you shouldn't. But at the same time, don't dismiss it all either. And that's and that's the challenge. And that's where it's, like I said, you have to look at the person who's presenting this the stuff. Well, again, you're right. But it's just, it's tough. Yeah. But you know what? I think the bottom line, at least for our team, and and for probably a lot of other teams in the Utah area, we go out, we do what we love. We do it for us. We do it to possibly find evidence, not to try to prove to anybody else out there right, that it's real or anything else, but we're doing it for us. It's what we enjoy. We like to learn the history. We like to tell the story of spirits that may still remain, that want to be heard. Yeah. And we try to do the best that we can to get it right. That's where a lot of research, a lot of digging comes in. And sometimes it really pans out. And when it does, it's very rewarding. Exactly. And sometimes it doesn't. It's just the way it goes. Yeah. And and that's the that is the challenge of, of being a paranormal investigator is that you mm -hmm. don't know what you're gonna get. Mm -mm. No. We've gotten some amazing things. We've gotten some things that we thought were paranormal. And weren't. But we will try to recreate. We look at it, you know, we have multiple cameras and digital recorders and we kind of cross check everything with the other devices we have. Yep. And a lot of times you'll find that it's not actually paranormal. Yep. Exactly. So we try to be very thorough. So moving from spirit photography and kind of staying in the realm of photography in general. Yeah. We're going to move on to something that I didn't even know existed. And that's photography, which is a simple way of put saying using one's mind to project images onto film. So you're saying thought? Photography. Thoughtography. Thoughtography. Like you thought you saw something. Thoughtography. That I used my brain to put something on Kodak film. Wow, that's some powers you got there, Mega Mind. I know. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> so in 2002, the world was act was introduced to th to photography, which I already said was the ability to project an image from one's mind onto photograph onto a photograph. Now this came to to light because of the movie The Ring. Okay, so kind of tell me the connection there. The spirit in The Ring. To be honest, everybody, 
Surprise, surprise. I've never seen this movie. <laughs> Ooh, I'm shocked. I know. <laughs> Do you know what a movie is? <laughs> it's one of the moving picture things. <laughs> well, at I least think. you know that much. <laughs> <laughs> right? So the, the premise in this is that the spirit that haunts, that ends up, you know, uh, haunting and attacking these people is able to project images into their, into the victim's minds. Is, okay. is is the the process of this? Okay. So, okay. So, I'm sorry. What year did you say this came about? The ring was 2002. Okay. Right. But when did photography? It was. I'm, I'm getting to that part. Okay. Actually, the term photography has been in the English language since 1913. Oh, so a little while. Yeah, it's been around a little while. The interesting thing is the psychic phenomenon was first explored in Japan by Tomokichi Fuku- Fukurai. It's a little rough. It's a little rough. And hopefully you got the pronunciation right because we we really try. But come on, folks. We are not good at this stuff as far I as pronouncing n- these, these names. I am not good at foreign names. But we try. We really try. We definitely try. So before Fukurai started studying, now he called it Nensha. Okay. So before he started studying Nensha, he earned his PhD in letters, which is actually the psychology, the psychological study of mesmerism. Okay. And he studied, and he also studied abnormal psychology, such he, as like what's an example of that? That's just the actual like name of studying is abnormal psychology. Huh. I think we would call it parapsychology today. Okay. So remember, this is back in. So he got it. He got his uh, assistant professorship at the College of Letters in 1908. So this would he would have been you know 1907 or 1906. Yeah. So a little while ago. Yeah, maybe just a few years. A couple of years. <laughs> so Fukurai and his colleagues ran many experiments with several individuals trying to prove clairvoyance. So he wasn't even actually on the the topic of Nensha at the time. So they were trying to study, can people have clairvoyance? Right. So if, and I just, anytime I think of clairvoyance, I just think of Ghostbusters with what letter, what, what's, what's on the card? <laughs> then zapping them. Then zapping them. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the experiments was to determine if a person could determine the photographed letters on an undeveloped, photographic dry plate. Okay. So it's the same kind of concept, right? So it's the glass plate. Mm-hmm. And in this case, they would take a picture of a letter and then not add the other chemicals to develop it. So it just kind of be dry. Okay. The results were unsuccessful. But what he noticed was that the plates were photosensitive. So they now the plates you know aren't normally photosensitive until you add chemicals, but for whatever reason, after these individuals were were trying to figure this out, they became photosensitive. Huh. So he attributed this to the psychic energy from the from the subjects, and called this phenomenon nensha. Okay. So around January 1911, newspapers had been favorably reporting on mesmerism. But they then they started to report negatively on the subject. Why was that? 
I don't know. I think what's, probably what's switched. Probably what ends up happening, like, even with like everything else, right? Is people start realizing that there's frauds out there, and they're starting to feel mm-hmm. like they're getting burned, and so they're like, "Oh, this mesmerism is is great." Oh wait, there's a lot of frauds out there, and now people are getting taken. Ah, uh, well, I mean, I can understand that. Yeah, I really can. So it becomes a you know it becomes damning to people in that yeah. avenue. Mm-hmm. On the 18th of January, one of his psychic research partners committed suicide by poison. Sad. Uh, sad. And then yeah. on February 26th, another died from the flu. What? Yeah. And then one after another of his psychics started dying. Huh? Yeah. Just mysteriously started dying. And so he had to like hang up his research. Because he didn't want to die. I mean, I wouldn't. I would do it because I didn't want to die too. But did they ever find out, like a cause? Like no, it was just like they just died of big question mark. Right, big question mark. One one person committed suicide. One person died of the flu. Like these aren't uncommon things. To no, happen. but to have them happen to the people that were involved in this, like one after the other, like that. Right. You have to admit that's really strange. That's very strange. I kind of got this thought in my head as when I was reading this and doing the research mm-hmm. that it was intentional. That, oh. That somebody, maybe. Or somebody's. Or somebody's associated to the university or something like that. And the research. Started killing people off because they did not like where he was going with things. Like, were the. I wonder if they were scared that they were going to figure out what these other people already knew. It's entirely possible. And they were getting too close. Could be. Or he was getting too much power. Weird. Yeah. So in 1913, Fukurai published his finding stating that clairvoyance and photography were fact. But these claims were not supported amongst the academic circles. Of course not. So then, on the 27th of October, 1913, he was asked by the Tokyo Imperial University to take a leave of absence. I wonder if that was like a warning. <laughs> no, that he was done. Like, that was, he was already, he was disgraced. Well, that's what I mean. Like, was that, hey, we want you to take a leave of absence. Was that his out so that he didn't mysteriously die too? Oh, that's very possible. Yeah. That's that's my thought. Yeah, because it, it just seems strange that it's like, hey, we're going to discredit you, and then we're going to just shove you under the under the floor. Yeah. So it's like, bye bye. It's weird. It is weird. To move from Japan, come back to the U.S. to the great, wonderful, windy city, Chicago. Okay. From 1964 to 1967, Dr. Eisenberg, Bud, conducted photography experiments with a Ted Sirius, which, if you haven't heard the name, don't worry, because no one else had really. Yeah, I was going to say, who dat? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what he was, was an out-of-work bellhop. But he claimed that through hypnosis... Through mesmerism, mm-hmm. right? He was he discovered that he could produce images on film. 
What Ted had done at first was use an ordinary box camera, and then he moved to Polaroid film. Okay. So when I think of a Polaroid film, right, I'm thinking of that little white cartridge, you know, the little white piece of paper with the Dakota Instamatic film. Mm -hmm. That's not exactly the same way these cameras were. Okay. So they had the instant film, but it was more of a, in a package, in a sheet that you would load into your camera. Like a sealed sheet? Yeah. Okay. So it's not the small little Polaroids that we were, that we're the used squares, to today. Yeah. The squares that we're used to today. So during the course of Eisenbud's experiments, Ted produced approximately 1,000 images. These images now reside in the special collection section of the library at the University of Maryland. Huh. So if you want to see them, you just got to get access to the special sections, collection section. Interesting. Yeah. So I, I think of this as the restricted section in Harry Potter. Oh. <laughs> They're Soft. there, but you can, we can see Soft them. limits. Get your invisibility cloak and just sneak on over there and have a gander. And check them out. Yeah. So actually, all of the experiments and things associated to Ted Sirius are actually in that collection. So there's a quite a, sounds like a quite extensive collection of his stuff there. Right. So here's the thing that's interesting is that these these experiments were conducted in a, let's call it strange manner. First, Ted usually had to be intoxicated. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, a lot of people when they're really intoxicated, they feel like they can do a lot of things. Right? <laughs> it's said that he consumed several thousand quarts of hard liquor and beer. How did he not in one go? No, just over the course of the three years. Oh. <laughs> in one go. It's like, how did he not die of alcohol poisoning? Right? Come on. Just backed up a truck, hooking in. <laughs> I view it. We got this going. Secondly, Ted liked to work with what he called the gizmo. Now, the gizmo was a short cylinder about an inch in diameter, typically created during the sessions from the black from the black paper packaging around the photo of the Polaroid film. Okay. So you take it up, roll it into a, a tube, much like the tube of like a paper towels. Okay. And so he would, so you can see images of him with that up against his head. Interesting. So he would think into the, to the gizmo. Like he put it to his forehead, like where his third eye is and. Pretty much. Think into this. Tube. Tube. Yes. As the experiments were conducted, Ted would sometimes be shown an image or the image was sealed in an opaque envelope. Okay. So then Ted would try to recreate the image on the film. So this often involved pressing his head to the gizmo while holding it in his hand. And then he would yell, now! (laughs) And the camera holder would take a picture. I'm just getting this mental image in my head and it's just... It's a little comical, but okay. Oh, it's got to be comical. I mean, it's it's very strange. I mean, there could be something to it. I don't know. Right? The successful image was created often blurry or out of focus. So kind of like, you know, when you take a picture today and you twitch. Yeah, it's like looks smeared. Yeah. Here's my thing, though. It If it come out blurry, was it 
like, could you tell what it was? Even though it was blurry, you could still see what that image was? Yeah. yeah. And, and okay. in most cases, you can make it out. Okay. Now, he did produce some things called blackies and whiteies, which <laughs> sounds really bad, right? But what it actually determines is, like, if I take a picture with a, sh- with a camera, right? A black image would mean that no light got to the to the paper. Oh, okay. So if I'm taking a picture in broad daylight, yeah, at a person standing there, and it turns out black, that means I usually left the lens cap on, right? But in this case, he was he claims he was able to black them out in that avenue, or in the other way, add so much light in there that it over whited it out. Yep. Or is that just what he said? He wasn't taking the picture. Somebody else was actually holding the camera and taking right. the picture. Right, but you can imagine that if your what what whatever it was, your sheet or whatever, yep, that the image would be on the photo paper yeah. was faulty. Yeah, and you can't tell me that the camera person couldn't make a mistake, like user error. No, they absolutely could. They absolutely could have made a mistake. For all of you who can't see, I'm showing Jamie a picture of the of the Acropolis in in Greece. Now, this was supposedly taken through Ted's photography. Okay, but you can clearly see that it looks like the Acropolis. It does, hundred percent. So, and, that, and again, we'll post these photos. Yes, we will, because this is a very visual episode. It is. All of these experiments were watched by several people and all of his movements were under scrutiny. So they were trying to make sure that he wasn't lying during all of this. So they were taking every possible measure they could think of to ensure that this was in fact legitimate legitimate versus completely falsified. Exactly. Okay. So in one experiment, Eisenberg opened a fresh package of film, created the gizmo himself and handed it to Ted. Then, after a few failed attempts, Ted was able to create an image of Eisenberg's ranch house and barn. Interesting. The strange thing is the image resembles a state before Ted had ever seen the windows or had ever seen it. The windows had no shutters, so he'd only ever seen the place with shutters. Right. And then the bottom of the barn was full dark, like like a big barn door was open. Mm Mm-hmm. But there's no big barn door in his barn. Huh. Interesting. It's very interesting. Because that would state that he's creating something, actually creating something, and not using trickery to recreate or project an image in you know onto the film. Unless everybody was in on it. <laughs> well, then you can't prevent that, right? No, you can't. So the probably the most impressive feat. There are 36 images that were created from Ted from a distance to the camera of 1 to 66 or to 60 feet. Wow. So that's not like, hey, I'm going to be right up here. I can just put something in front so you can take a picture of it. Mm -hmm. That's being 60 feet away. Yeah. And in one case, he was in an entirely different room. Interesting. And those were all witnessed by on, they were all witnessed on 12 occasions by 14 different witnesses in nine different locations. Huh. Okay. 
So it's not like he's manipulating the environment in that avenue, generally speaking. Right. In some cases, Ted was actually separated from the camera and placed in a Faraday cage. Explain to people what a Faraday cage is. So a Faraday cage is actually designed to prevent the emission of electromagnetic energy. Okay. So it's kind of like blocking all EMF Mm -hmm. from the area. So the one thing that you would be able to do or potentially do, right, is emit some type of radio or uh, electromagnetic energy and have it imprinted on a film, right? It's kind of similar to what an x-ray does. Right. But if you're inside of a Faraday cage, you exactly can't be emitting any type of EMF energy. Right. Eisenbud and and Sirios' experiments were not without scrutiny, of course, right? Magician James Randi confronted Eisenbud on the Today Show, claiming that all of his pictures were fraudulent. You're always going to have those people. Yeah, you're always going to have those people. Now, my question is, did this magician have any sort of proof? No. What he claimed that he could, that he could, you know, recreate these images. I could do that stuff, right? Of course, you know, I mean, obviously someone's stealing his thunder in a way. Mm-hmm. So after the cameras were off and backstage, Eisenbug Bud challenged Randy to duplicate Ted's images. Now, the two parties fought back and forth for, for years, or for, not for years, but for time, right, through letters, trying to agree to the terms of the challenges. And at one point, Eisenbug's like, look, if you're going to do this, you've got to be drunk like Ted. I mean, yeah, let's level this playing field here a little bit, right? right? Let's make it fair. And then eventually he said, no, you can be in any state that you want. Kind of just basically taking away all of the the roadblocks that Randy had put in place. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, that never actually carried out. You know, Randy kind of stalled long enough for Sirius to stop the experiments. Of course, he's just waiting it out. You know, it's it's pretty sad when you go and you make a bold claim, you got nothing to back it up, and you're not willing to rise to the challenge that you actually put out there yourself by opening up your mouth and claiming that this person was a fraud and that you could do it yourself. Exactly. It's like you're all talk. You're all fluff. All talk. That's all you are. So Pretty cowardly. It's very cowardly. Yeah. The interesting thing is Ted's, Photographs have yet to be debunked. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, Ted is no longer with us. Yeah, he died back in 2006? 2006, yeah. Cirrhosis of the liver, I'm assuming? I don't know. I didn't (laughs) see a cause of death, but (laughs) I would assume so, yes. With all that alcohol, because if he had to be drunk to do it, and these experiments went on for a few years. Three years. Well, that's still, like you said, all that alcohol he consumed. I mean, surely... Thousands of quarts of alcohol. That had, I mean, what kind of alcohol are we talking? Are we talking like beer? Are we talking hard about liquor and hardcore? Beer. Okay. Hard liquor and beer. Oh, you don't want to mix those two. Well, they didn't say that he mixed them. He just said he drank. That's what he drank. So if you think about a four quarts to a gallon, he had thousands of gallon or thousands of quarts, which means he probably had a thousand gallons. Goodness gracious. That's a lot of alcohol. Oh. 
Right. <laughs> so Randy's website states. Now I didn't check to see if it's still up. Okay. But if he has, if he's got a website, that means he's a. It's at least was you know past the 1980s. Right. So it states, if Mister Sirios did not use a trick method, all the rules of physics, particularly of optics. Everything developed by science over the past several centuries must be written to accommodate Eisenbud's opinion. No such revisions have been found necessary. So he's trying to claim, essentially, that because no one has rewritten the scientific understandings of the way things are, have worked... That obviously it's not possible that what what Sirius was doing was was legitimate, right? But if it wasn't legitimate, explain to me how he created an image sixty feet away on a piece of film. I got nothing. Exactly. It's hard to say anything in that avenue, right? Right. Interesting enough, the last image Ted Sirius created was a pair of curtains. And then Eisenberg knew that it was the curtain call and it was done. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's interesting. It's very interesting. A little poetic at the end there, isn't it? It's very poetic in that avenue. Yeah, it really is. Wow. And it's and, and this one is tough because it's like, it's it's hard to figure out how one could actually fake it in this avenue. Yeah. Because if I had if I had the ability to manipulate these tubes, right, during the experiment, then I would have a chance at faking it. Right. But even Eisenbutt at times took transparents and put them in the tubes and took pictures of the transparents. Mm-hmm. And even those didn't turn out the same way. Interesting. So even Eisenbud, who was doing the study and the experiments on this, even he tried to debunk and to disprove what was happening. Unsuccessfully. Unsuccessfully. That's really interesting. Yeah. And he's not the only one that has gone down this realm of photography either. Mm-hmm. So there was a Yuri Geller who used a 35 millimeter camera with the lens cap on. And so he would do this, and this was back in 1995, right? So this is many years after Sirius had stopped. Right. And so he would take pictures of his forehead and there would be images on the film. And so obviously he was claiming that he was producing these images, right? Okay. Obviously, if I put a if I put a lens cap on my camera and take a picture, I should only get black. Right. If I get an image, mm-hmm. that's weird. Yeah. Because no light's getting in there. Yeah. So how are you getting that image? Exactly. Where's it coming from? Exactly. But our good friend, Mr. James Randy, shows up again. Of course. And says, that's all fake. All fraud. If it's fake, then recreate it for me and show me. Exactly. And that one's even harder, right? Because 
I'm now taking away any light coming yeah. in. Yeah. So the only thing I should get at that point is black. Just pure black. Just pure black. I shouldn't Nothing. have an image of anything. Mm-mm. Is it real? Is it fake? Is this Randy guy still around? As far as I know, I have not seen anything to his demise, but I did not look to see if he was still alive. Oh. The great Randy, the amazing Randy, I think he was called. I don't know if he's still around. And if he is, he's probably very aged at this point. Amazingly pompous. Probably. (laughs) Kind of sounds like it. Yeah. Comes out, fluffs his feathers, but there's no real substance to him. Like, he's got nothing. Yeah. And maybe it was one of those things that he would figure that if he pushed hard enough, people would just fold. Maybe. I, I don't know what his motivation was for it. Yeah. And obviously, he didn't share what his motivation was for it. Because it sounds like he just said, it's fake, and I could do that. Yeah. I could recreate this. But yet, he never produced any recreation of anything he never proved anything he never tried to he just waited it out right and because he had nothing he was all talk and and there's been a long list of magicians right who have gone through and debunked people in the spiritual from the spiritualist right from, from the spiritualist movement oh i'm sure you know there's I'm some sure some pretty famous ones that have gone through and and said, you know, these people who are are mediums, you know, mm-hmm. air quote mediums and and fortune tellers and stuff, they're they're fake. And this is how they're doing all of their tricks. And there was a lot of tricks and of stuff. I'm sure there were. So I think he was just trying to follow suit in that avenue. It's yeah, what but it when feels you like. when you got nothing to back it up, though, like if these other if other magicians come out and they could prove the trickery of like mediums. Right. And show you, then by all means, that's great. But this amazing Randy guy had nothing. No. Like there was nothing other than the claim it's fake. That's exactly. it. He now, never he never showed you how it was fake or told you how it was fake. He did make one single claim. Was he was watching Ted do a a public event thing, right? Okay. And he claims he saw something small fall out of the gizmo, like a small little trinket or something that you could take a picture of, essentially, is what he's trying to claim. Okay. But again, I go back to these pictures that are taken from 60 feet away. If I take a picture of you from Mm -hmm. 60 feet away, holding a tube to your forehead. (laughs) I'm a unicorn. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I'm, what I'm going to get on that film should be a picture of you holding a tube to your head, yeah. not a picture of the Acropolis or right. something else, because right. that makes no sense. No, no. And so, and and that's where I go back to on, on this one. If if I'm looking at evidence piece, that's where I look back and say, it is unless you're messing with the film itself, right? There's no way to produce that image. Other than psychically or paranormally in this avenue. It's all very interesting. It's very interesting. And I'm sure you can find more information out there. There's tons of information out there on photography. Mm-hmm. Now, most of it that I found revolves around Ted and Eisenbud's experiments. 
Yeah. Because, I mean, I haven't ever heard of any like it other than this one. Yeah. In fact, until this one, I had never even knew that thoughtography was anything. I didn't even know. That there was such a thing. Exactly. I had no idea. I put up a question earlier this year on Twitter about topics we should cover, and someone responded and put up thoughtography as a as a topic. Yeah. So thank you for that suggestion because this was all very interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. It's pretty fascinating. Honestly, like it was perfect for the 60s mm-hmm. when this was done. Yeah. It would be really hard today with all of one, finding a film camera for one. <laughs> it, would be, it would be challenging to find. Yeah. It really would, wouldn't it? Yeah. They, I mean, they do exist. They're oh, just of not. Remember Common. when everybody used to have one? Like I had one of those little 110 cameras and then I had a 35 millimeter camera. Well, yeah, you moved from the the 110 bar. Yeah. And you thought you were cool with that. Heck yeah. And then you got the 35 millimeter you're like, I'm professional now. Yeah. Because everyone's got a 35 millimeter camera. Right? And then the digital hit. Yeah. Digital photography. And now people's phones can take. Better pictures than a lot of cameras out there. Yeah. Unless you know what you're doing. And and that's the, the Which tricky I don't. devil. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, at, your phone can take as, be, as good as a, of a point-and-click picture as any point-and-click camera out there. It can. In most cases, it can. Yep. So. Yeah, because we got a really nice digital camera with the big lens and everything. And we still have it. And I think we'd paid like 1500 for it. Yeah, we paid a lot of money for it. But our phones take way better pictures. Well, you know, when we bought the camera, it was a 24, no, I think it was a 12 megapixel camera. And we were like, this is like the latest and greatest camera. It was. It was. And now our cameras take 48 megapixels. Yeah. Or or higher, depending mm-hmm. on the- On our phones. On the phone. Yeah. We've come a long ways. Come a long ways. Yeah. It's amazing. Which all lends to the- the part of taking pictures at at haunted locations and trying to mm-hmm. capture images. Yeah. And we and when we go to a location, we always take pictures in like successions of three. Yes. Um and why do we do that, Josh? Because if you have a picture in the beginning that's clear, and then you have a picture in the middle that has something in it, and then you have a picture at the end that has nothing in it. Yeah. Then you're left with going, well, that's weird. Yeah. And then exactly. you try to figure out what happened, right? Mm-hmm. Now, we had that we had this happen to us and we've caught I think this is the only image we've actually ever caught anything on. And this was at Bannock Ghost Town in mm-hmm. Montana. Yeah. And we weren't even really into the paranormal stuff back then. Like we weren't doing the investigations like we are today. We didn't have a team. We weren't going out and doing it on a regular basis. I think we had a digital recorder with us and that camera we were talking about. Yes. That very state-of-the-art camera for its time. Yes. Um, Yeah. We were wandering around Bannock and it was a beautiful day. Beautiful, sunny day. Sunny day, early afternoon, right? And we went into this one house. And we're wandering through it and it's, you know, there's light coming through the windows. It's really bright. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, Even inside the houses, it was bright. A lot of light coming in and uh, a lot of sun. We get to this one doorway and it is strangely dark. 
black. You couldn't see anything inside you, this, yeah. this door. Past the door frame, you couldn't see nothing. It was so black. So we're like, is this another room? What is this? Well, yeah, because we had opened up before that when we'd walked into the kitchen area, we had actually opened up the door to the cellar. Mm-hmm. In the floor. In the floor. Yeah. Which I've never been able to open since, by the way, in that house. <laughs> no, that's the only time we were able to pull that open. It was it was open. It was, like, it wasn't locked or it wasn't nailed down. We just picked it up and opened it. Just picked it up. We should have went down there. Well, I don't know, because they do have rattlers out there. They do. And so we were being safe. And plus, yeah. plus we didn't want to get stuck under the house, because <laughs> then you can't get out. It's dark down there. <laughs> yeah. And we didn't have flashlights or anything. We didn't no. have, I mean, our cell phones at the time were flip phones. I mean, seriously. Yeah. Like, Pretty this, much. Just been a little while ago. Yeah. A few years ago. Anyways, we come to this one area, and we're thinking... This might be another room, but it is so unbelievably dark that you can't see nothing. Nothing. Well, I had the camera on the strap around my neck. And this is a big camera with a nice, nice lens. Yeah, 35 millimeter lens on it. Yeah, but it was just nice state-of-the-art camera for the time. And if you hold down the button just slightly before you snap off a photo, it'll kind of go click, 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 and you'll get a flash. You'll get flashes. Yes. So I thought, okay... Let's use that to see if we can see what this room is. Right. So I'm flashing away on there, and we ended up snapping off some photos. Yes, we did. By accident. A few photos, as a matter of fact. Yes. Um, And what we saw when we went through the photos later was we saw like this white mist in one of the photos. Just one of the photos. Just one. And when I ended up, like, if you hold down the button on this camera, because like I said, you hold down the button slightly, it gives you the flashes, right? Just the flash. Uh, the flash will kick off a few times. But if you hold it all the way down, it will shutter off picture after picture after picture if you hold it all the way. Yep. And keep it down. And so just trying to use the flash, and I ended up on a couple of occasions holding it down and it would snap off four or five pictures each time. And the thing was, is even with it flashing like that, it mm-hmm. was really hard to see inside this. It was. What ends up being a closet. And not just a closet, you guys, but a shallow, tiny, tiny closet. Maybe three feet deep if at that. the most. Yeah. And what was in the closet was... The door. It was a door, and it was also storm windows. Yeah. That was all that was in there. Yep. Other than the white mist. Yes. But in the other photos, okay, in the one with the white mist, it's still pitch black other than this white mist. And you can see some of the... Barely. Barely, you can see some of the things behind it. Yes, but in the other photos, you can clearly see what's in the closet and that it is a closet. Yes. In all the other photos. What is interesting about that is we've been back to Bannock several times since that day. Yes, we have. And every time we go back and we open that closet door. Yeah, because they put the door on there now. The door wasn't on there before. Yeah, the door was on there. No, it wasn't. Okay. It was back in the closet. But anytime you go in there and you open that door and Mm -hmm. you look into that closet, you can clearly see everything in there. You could tell it's a closet. It's depth, all of that. All of it. Like right away. So what you have is... 
the way we look at it, right, is we try to go back and recreate it. Yeah. Unsuccessfully. Yeah. Because we went back on a summer day, bright and shiny. And in fact, one day we went back, we went back with your brother. Mm-hmm. It wasn't bright and shiny. It was stormy out. Yeah, that was so cool. <laughs> but you could still see the back of the closet. You could. So we've never been able to debunk that that whole... Or recreate it. Or recreate the whole scenario. So it's plausibly something paranormal. Yep. Without saying it is, I think that there's a better chance it could be. I think so. Yeah. But definitely a cool experience. But this is why we kind of take multiple pictures. And even though this one was us taking multiple pictures by uh, accident. Exactly. It's still captured as something very interesting. Yep. And then the other thing, too, is if you take three pictures and four pictures in a row and you mm. get the same thing in all four pictures. More than likely, it's nothing. Yep. Especially if it hasn't moved. Yes. And you're like, yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. just something there. Yeah. Something that's like has this matrix effect. Yep. That is like two or three things and it makes it look like one thing. Yeah. Like a, a person or something. Kind of like when you look across the room in your bedroom at night and you see like a bunch of clothes piled up on your dresser. And it's a monster. And it looks like some demon or something sitting on your dresser or standing there. And it takes you a few seconds to realize that, hey, that's just my clothes that my lazy butt didn't put away. Or when you wake up in the middle of the night and you barely open your eyes and there's a giant gorilla sitting on a chair next to you, but it is, but you think it's something else. Yeah. Instead, but in reality, it was a stuffed, a big stuffed gorilla yeah. sitting on a rocking chair. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you guys got some good information off of this, off of this episode. Yeah. This was a lot of fun to, to go through. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun to read about and research. And, you know, there's lots more out there, you guys. And we encourage you to go. And, and if you're interested in exploring it more, do. Exactly. And honestly, like if you... If you look at this mumbler, these mumbler photographs and you, and you feel that they are legitimate, mm-hmm. let us know. Yeah. Tell us your thoughts. You know, find us on social media. Yeah. And where can they find us? Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Paranormal Peace Podcast or at Cold Spot Paranormal Research. You can find us on Instagram at Cold Spot underscore Paranormal underscore Research or on Twitter at CPR Paranormal. And as always, stay ghosty, my peeps. Thank you for listening to the Paranormal Peeps Podcast. You can find us on social media at Twitter at CPR Paranormal, on Facebook at Paranormal Peeps Podcast and Cold Spot Paranormal Research. And you can find us on Instagram at Cold Spot underscore Paranormal underscore Research.